Chapter 6 They buried Nana in a corner of the cemetery in Goldemon. Miriam stood beside Baby Joe with the women as Malefazola recited prayers at the graveside and the men lowered Nana's shrouded body into the ground. Afterward, Jaleel walked Miriam to the Kolba, where, in front of the villagers who accompanied them, he made a great show of tending to Miriam. He collected a few of her things, put them in a suitcase. He sat beside her cot where she lay down and fanned her face. He stroked her forehead and, with a woebegone expression on his face, asked if she needed anything. Anything? He said it like that. Twice. I want Mola Miriam said. Of course. He's outside. I'll get him for you. It was when Mola's slight, stooping figure appeared in the Colba's doorway that Miriam cried for the first time that day. Oh, Miriam Joe. He sat next to her and cupped her face in his hands. You go on and cry, Miriam Joe. Go on. There is no shame in it. But remember, my girl, what the Quran says. Blessed is he in whose hand is it the kingdom, and he who has power over all things, who created death and life that he may try you. The Quran speaks the truth, my girl, behind every trial and every sorrow that he makes us shoulder. God has a reason. But Miriam could not hear comfort in God's words. Not that day, not then. All she could hear was Nana saying, I'll die if you go. I'll just die. All she could do was cry and cry and let her tears fall on the spotted, paper-thin skin of Mola Fazola's hands. On the ride to his house, Jalil sat in the back seat of his car with Miriam, his arm draped over her shoulder. You can stay with me, Miriam Joe, he said. I've asked them already to clean a room for you. It's upstairs. You'll like it, I think. You'll have a view of the garden. For the first time, Miriam could hear him with Nana's ears. She could hear so clearly now the insincerity that had always lurked beneath the hollow, false assurances. She could not bring herself to look at him. When the car stopped before Jaleel's house, the driver opened the door for them and carried Miriam's suitcase. Jaleel guided her on one palm cupped around each of her shoulders through the same gates outside of which, two days before, Miriam had slept on the sidewalk waiting for him. Two days before, when Miriam could think of nothing in the world she wanted more than to walk in his garden with Jaleel felt like another lifetime. How could her life have turned upside down so quickly, Miriam asked herself. She kept her gaze to the ground, on her feet, stepping on the gray stone path. She was aware of the presence of people in the garden, murmuring, stepping aside, as she and Jaleel walked past. She sensed the weight of her eyes on her, looking down from the windows upstairs. Inside the house, too, Miriam kept her head down. She walked on a maroon carpet with a repeating blue and yellow octagonal pattern, saw out of the corner of her eye the marble bases of statues, the lower half of vases, the frayed ends of richly colored tapestries hanging from the walls. The stairs she and Jalil took were wide and covered with a similar carpet, nailed down at the base of each step. At the top of the stairs, Jalil led her to the left, down another long carpeted hallway. He stopped by one of the doors, opened it, and let her in. Your sisters Nilofar and Ate play here sometimes, Jaleel said, but mostly we use this as a guest room. You'll be comfortable here, I think. It's nice, isn't it? The room had a bed with green flowered blanket knit in a tightly woven honeycomb design. The curtains pulled back to reveal the garden below matched the blanket. Beside the bed was a three-drawer chest with a flower vase on it. There were shelves along the walls with framed pictures of people Miriam did not recognize. On one of the shelves, Miriam saw a collection of identical wooden dolls, arranged in a line of order of decreasing size. Miriam saw her looking. Matryoshka dolls. I got them in Moscow. You can play with them if you want. No one will mind. 
Miriam sat down on the bed. Is there anything you want? Doyle said. Miriam lay down, closed her eyes. After a while, she heard him softly shut the door. Except for when she had to use the bathroom down the hall, Miriam stayed in the room. The girl with the tattoo, the one who had opened the gates for her, brought her meals on a tray. Lamb kebab, sazi, osh soup. Most of it went uneaten. Julia came by several times a day, sat on the bed beside her, asked her if she was all right. You can eat downstairs with the rest of us, he said, but without much conviction. He understood a little too readily when Miriam said she preferred to eat alone. From the window, Miriam watched impassively what she had wondered about and longed for to see most of her life, the comings and goings of Julia's daily life. Servants rushed in and out of the front gates. A gardener was always trimming bushes, watering plants in the greenhouse. Cars with long, sleek hoods pulled up on from the street. From them emerged men in suits, in chapons and karku hats, women in hijabs, children with neatly combed hair, and as Miriam watched Jalil shake these strangers' hands as she saw him cross his palms on his chest and nod to their wives, she knew that Nana had spoken the truth. She did not belong here. But where do I belong? What am I going to do now? I'm all you have in this world, Miriam. When I'm gone, you'll have nothing. You'll have nothing. You are nothing. Like the wind through the willows around the colba, gusts of an inexpressible blackness kept passing through Miriam. On Miriam's second full day at Jalil's house, a little girl came into the room. I have to get something, she said. Miriam sat up on the bed and crossed her legs, pulled the blanket on her lap. The girl hurried across the room and opened the closet door. She fetched a square-shaped gray box. You know what this is, she said. She opened the box. It's called a gramophone. Grammo phone. It plays records, you know, music, a gramophone. You're Nilufar, you're eight. The little girl smiled. She had Jaleel's smile and his dimpled chin. How did you know? Miriam shrugged. She didn't say to this girl that she'd once named a pebble after her. Do you want to hear a song? Miriam shrugged again. Nilafar plugged in the gramophone. She fished a small record from a pouch beneath the box's lid. She put it on, lowered the needle. Music began to play. I will use a flower petal for paper and write you the sweetest letter. You are the sultan of my heart, the sultan of my heart. Do you know it? No. It's from an Iranian film. I saw it at my father's cinema. Hey, do you want to see something? Before Miriam could answer, Nilafar had put her palms and forehead to the ground. She pushed with her soles and then she was standing upside down on her head in a three-point stance. Can you do that? She said thickly. No. Nilufar dropped her legs and pulled her blouse back down. I could teach you, she said, put pushing hair from her flushed brow. So how long will you stay here? I don't know. My mother says you're not really my sister like you say you are. I never said I was, Miriam lied. She says you did. I don't care. What I mean is, I don't mind if you did say it, or if you are my sister. I don't mind. Miriam lay down. I'm tired now. My mother says a gin made your mother hang herself. You can stop that now, Miriam said, turning to her side. The music, I mean. Baby Joe came to see her that day, too. It was raining by the time she came. She lowered her large body onto the chair besides the bed, grimacing. This rain, Miriam Joe, it's murder on my hips. Just murder, I tell you. I hope... Oh, now, come here, child. Come here to Baby Joe. Don't cry. There, now, you poor things. You poor, poor thing. That night, Miriam couldn't sleep for a long time. She lay in bed looking at the sky, listening to the footsteps below, the voices muffled by the walls, and the sheets of rain punishing the window. 
When she did doze off, she started awake by a shouting. Voices downstairs, sharp and angry. Miriam couldn't make out the words. Someone slammed a door. The next morning, Molefazola came to visit her. When she saw her friend at the door, his white beard, his amiable, toothless smile, Miriam felt tears stinging in the corners of her eyes again. She swung her feet over the side of the bed and hurried over. She kissed his hands, as always, and he her brow. She pulled him up a chair. He showed her the Quran he had bought with him and opened it. I figured no sense in skipping our routine, eh? You know, I don't need lessons anymore, Melissa Sahib. You taught me everything, every surah and ayat in the Quran years ago. He smiled and raised his hand in a gesture of surrender. I confess, then. I've been found out, but I think of worse excuses to visit you. You don't need excuses, not you. You're kind to say that, Miriam Joe. He passed her his Quran as he had taught her. She kissed it three times, touching it to her brow between each kiss, and gave it back to him. How are you, my girl? I keep, Miriam began. She had to stop, feeling like a rock had lodged itself in her throat. I keep thinking of what she said to me before I left. She... Nay, 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 Malafazula put his hand on her knee. Your mother, may Allah forgive her, was a troubled and unhappy woman, Miriam Joe. She did a terrible thing to herself, to herself, to you, and also to Allah. He will forgive her, for he is all-forgiving, but Allah is saddened by what she did. He does not approve of the taking of life, be it another's or one's own, for he says that life is sacred, you see. He pulled his chair closer, took Miriam's hand in both of his own. You see, I knew your mother before you were born, when she was a little girl, and I, I tell you that she was unhappy then. The seed for what she did was planted long ago, I'm afraid. What I mean to say is that this was not your fault. It wasn't your fault, my girl. I shouldn't have left her. I should have. You stop that. These thoughts are no good, Miriam Joe. You hear me, child? No good. They will destroy you. It wasn't your fault. It wasn't your fault. No. Miriam prodded, but as desperately as she wanted to, she could not bring herself to believe him. One afternoon, a week later, there was a knock on the door, and a tall woman walked in. She was fair-skinned, had reddish hair and long fingers. I'm Afsun, she said, Nilufar's mother. Why don't you wash up, Miriam, and come downstairs? Miriam said she would rather stay in her room. No, nah, Famidi. You don't understand. You need to come down. We have to talk to you. It's important.